All righty. God bless. Be seated. Be seated. Great to have everybody here. The NCU days, families that are hanging out here with us on a Friday. Uh, get your Bibles ready. We're going to be in Psalm 77. And again, great to see everybody here. You're just singing and praising God in such a beautiful, powerful, collective way. But I just look around, see everybody individually going after the Lord as if you were the only one in the room. And that's just a beautiful, beautiful sight. Amen. We got a lot to cover. I usually run out of time preaching lately, and I don't want to run out of time today. So we're going to go right into Psalm 77 today. Psalm 77. And again, like most Psalms, you're going to recognize the language. Uh, It's going to sound very Psalm-like. But in the midst of it, there's some one-liners in this scripture, and there's a particular one line that I'm going to give you and show it to you. We're going to shine light on it. I think you will remember this line the rest of your life. It's one of those lines in the Bible like, how come I've never seen that? That's unbelievable. That's in the Bible? It it has that kind of impact. And we'll get to it. It's kind of toward the end of the the, uh, passage. There's 20 verses in Psalm 77. Again, where it's just David again recalling the goodness of God in contrasting his circumstances to the laws of nature or the force of nature that God is in control of the lightning and the thunder. He certainly is in charge or control of my life and my circumstance. I know it sounds simple. It sounds very Psalm-esque, but there's some things in here I think they're going to be transformative for us because it's the word of God. I just really want to compliment uh, Jeff Dio yesterday. That message on aliens. I've been chewing all day. I posted, I still believe in aliens. And I got a whole bunch of reaction from people like, oh, President Hagen's talking about aliens. I even gave the verse though that we're strangers and aliens. People didn't read the verse and they just got into a conversation about the reality. Like, this is unbelievable. So I got everybody off on alien talk yesterday on Facebook. And I wasn't talking about those aliens, you idiots. Read the whole post. Psalm 77, here's what it says. It says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. Now, we're going to read it slow. I think it's up here. Here we go. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, there's two kinds of trouble in this life. Well, three kinds. There's good trouble. There's trouble. And then there's deep trouble. Deep trouble. Trouble. So I want you to circle that word if you have this text in your Bible and a pen nearby or keeping notes. Verse 2, when I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed. When's the last time you were in such deep trouble that you literally abandoned sleep, stayed up all night and sought the Lord because you were in deep trouble? So I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed. With hands lifted to heaven, but my soul was not comforted. How many of us would just quit, man? If we tried to pray all night, we start around 10 o'clock, we got our hands up in the air, we're in deep trouble. If we're not finding nothing, man, we're, we're done by 10, 15. We're going to give it 15 minutes here. I, I need something, God, to show me I'm not alone. But he's saying all night long he kept his hands up, searching for the Lord in deep trouble. But he found no comfort for his soul. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. Next slide. 
You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days, long since ended. He starts to contrast the different seasons of his life, the different chapters. And he begins to compare this setting with previous settings, and the previous is looking pretty good. He said, I, I remember the good old days. Now, I know you're old enough to start remembering high school and junior high or this or that. For a lot of us in this room, we've got a lot of good old days to think about. There's a lot to reflect on. There's a lot to contrast to our current circumstances. So David is going down that path of nostalgia. We'll come back to that in just a minute. I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. My life is worse than it was. My conditions, my relationship with God, everything seems to have shifted downwardly. I'm up all night. My hands are in the air. I can't find God. He said, it's not like it was in the good old days there's a massive difference. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Has his promises permanently failed? Now, if I was sitting in a counseling setting with somebody spewing this at me, I'd say, come on, enough already. Enough with the pity. Enough with the self-loathing. Come on, stop it. I mean, David is pouring out his soul through the pen. Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Why does God have the power to start stuff but not the power to finish it? Why does it seem like everybody else gets this quickly and it never comes to me? I'm contrasting my life with you and with this and with that and my previous chapters and man, it's not looking good. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door? Bam! Slammed the door in his compassion. And I said, this is my fate. Kind of my new name, my destiny. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Remember in the book of Ruth, when Naomi, the mother-in-law, who lost her husband and lost her two adult sons, she does the math, and Naomi changes her name publicly to Mara, which means bitterness. That word used for that pool of water that Moses found that had bitter waters. He couldn't, he couldn't refresh Israel. The water was undrinkable and he, the Lord showed him a tree, a tree, and he threw the tree into it. Like, seriously? It was a type of the cross, the coming of the cross, the tree that Jesus would hang on, that when that is just thrown and cast into the midst of bitterness, it transforms. When the cross is applied to anything, it transforms. That word Mara has a deep history in Scripture here you see David almost having that Naomi-like experience where he is ch changing his public persona. And he's saying, this is now my destiny. This is my identity. This is my fate. God's hand is against me. <clears throat> now, verse 11, it shifts in the next nine verses. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot uh, stop thinking about your mighty works. There's a theme throughout Psalms. Oftentimes David, throughout the Psalms, he's so frustrated at the world around him or at a person, he, he wants to kill him. 
And he's not going to kill him, but he asked God to kill him. Can you kill him, God? Kill this person. Kill him. Take him out. God, this is how I feel. Then he waits for the Lord, and he waits for the Lord. Then he says, okay, God, don't kill him. Would you help him? Show him mercy. There's this, always this shift that comes after you wait on, on God. This whole worldview flips. And so this is happening in the psalm, which is a traditional way that, that, that the Lord presented through David and the writers in Psalms, the point that they were seeking to communicate. So here's the shift. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. So it sounds very Psalm-esque at this point. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeem your people. The descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the Red Sea saw you, O oh God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and it shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway nobody knew was there. You led your people along the road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherd. Now, I kind of went quick through the line that I think I'm going to shine light on this line, and I, I pray you never forget it for the rest of your life. This New Living Translation of Psalm 77 is beautiful. It's poetic. When describing the free fall of a human life in the midst of a crisis. Um, when I read this not long ago, I, I highlighted my Bible the things that just kind of explode off the page. Right off the bat, verse 2, verse 4, and verse 9. Verse 2 says, when I was in deep, deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. Verse 4 says, man, I'm too distressed to even pray. Being so overwhelmed, you know where to go, but you're paralyzed and can't go there. How about verse 9? Has God slammed the door on his compassion? Then I continue to read and I continue to highlight. Verse 11. Then I recall all you have done from this desperate place that I can't even pray, but I begin to recall something in my mind about you, God, all that you have done. Verse 12. I can't stop thinking about your mighty deeds, verse 16. And I'll just give it away. Here's the line that is unbelievable in the Bible. When the Red Sea saw you, not when you saw the Red Sea. When the Red Sea saw you, oh God, its waters looked and trembled. Who's looking at who? So we think about, we, I'm up, up, up against the Red Sea. I see the Red Sea. It's a, the Red Sea's in front of me. No, you guys, the Bible says, when the Red Sea saw God. Not when you saw the Red Sea. So think about the obstacles and the mountains that we face in this life. Stuff that looks impassable. We think we're looking at that. It's looking back at the Lord in us or near us. I'm telling you, when the Red Sea saw you, it completely shifts the authority of the obstacle, friends, the impossibility of this thing. I'm always shocked when two people can look at the same thing. When I was a youth pastor, I gave the great story 
of Joshua and Caleb and the other 10 spies, they go into the land of, of promise and they come back and they're bringing grapes so big they got to carry them on their, a pole on their shoulders. Can you imagine eating grapes that are so huge, they're carrying them in on poles on their shoulders, a, a big thing of grapes. That's unbelievable. I've never seen those replicated. And it says that the land was flowing with opportunity. But he said the giants were there. So they saw two things. They saw grapes and they saw giants. They saw possibilities and they saw this other thing. And that's the way it's going to be for the rest of your life. Without even turning your head, you're always going to see the grapes and you're going to see the giant. Now, 10 of them on that reconnaissance focused on the giant that were in the land, the giants. Two of them focused on the grapes. Less people will always see opportunity. Fewer people in this room will approach the future and the kingdom of God with faith. Most, even in this room, are going to battle fear most of the way, you're going to see the giant before you see the grape. You're even going to carry the opportunity on your shoulders. They all carried it back. Look at the opportunity. It doesn't matter. We're not going in. And then Joshua and Caleb have one of the greatest lines in, in spiritual history. They said, by all means, we should go. Where do you get that reckless kind of energy to do it? When the majority of the people are scared to death. That's really the separating road. And I will tell you, it's been my experience that fewer people have the faith to pursue possibility. Most people who are supposed to be the torchbearers and the fire starters for the kingdom still come up against the giants. Where did Joshua and Caleb, of course they saw the giants. Everybody saw the same thing. All 12 saw grapes, all 12 saw giants. How did Joshua and Caleb overcome that view of the giant? And it's not in the Bible, but I think they were staring at the giants like this. And then they just started going like this. Oh my gosh, do you see that? See what? Do you see it? What do you see? I see giants. No, right behind the giant. That's... That's God's big toe. The Bible says that the earth is his footstool. The giant compared to the little toe of the creator who's made the earth his footstool made the giants look like nothing. It all depends on what you see. It wasn't just the grapes of opportunity. It was the greatness. And this is the whole thing in, in Psalm 77, this shift. But it says that they saw, or the Red Sea saw God, not the people seeing the Red Sea. And it was the Red Sea that trembled. Then it says in verse 19, Lord, your road led through the sea, a pathway no one knew was there. So if you need guarantees, you can't lead. You have to be able to step toward the unknown, not the understood. What you know is him. And you know his pattern. And you know his promises. And you have confidence that even though you're staring at a road that doesn't exist, like Israel, 
the Lord will lead you down a path no one knew was there. So some, your, your mentors, the experts in your life, they're not gonna be able to paint the whole picture for you because the Lord is gonna take you down roads that nobody, even the wisest ones that went before you, knew were even there that are before you. He's gonna open it up for you in a way that will be history-making. Here's five quick takeaways from this. Number one, there's a difference between trouble and deep trouble. Trouble has a spectrum. Not all trouble is the same. By the time people realize they have neglected their life and their manageable troubles have become unmanageable troubles, it, it is there that the enemy tells them they are too far off course for God to hear them. It's not true. He hears our cry from the depth of the pit, from a place of despair, and he especially is skilled at reaching us in the pit of deep trouble. Whether your trouble's deep today or somewhere in between, Psalms 34, 17 and 18 declares that the righteous cry out, the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. So deep trouble is what the Lord specializes in. I think I've told you before, maybe last year, the year before, that famous story, even NASA knows there's a missing day in the calendar, the day that's missing. And we read it in the Bible when Joshua is in a battle. And the Lord did what for Joshua? He stopped the sun. It's right there in scripture. You can call it a fable or a myth. Even NASA, Google it. There's a missing day. Many believe, theologically, it was that day. So Joshua's fighting, I believe it was the Midianites or somebody that they were battling, the Amalekites had come against the Midianites, and he was helping the Midianites in this battle, and they were losing. And then he cried out to God, and the Lord stopped the sun. You're thinking, that's pretty cool that the Lord would stop the sun for Joshua. Of course he stopped it for Joshua. Well, no, read the story. Do you understand that Joshua was fighting a battle that he never should have been in? He was in trouble, the trouble of his own making. In the previous chapter, he was seduced by flattery after they uh, had to go back and fight Ai with 10 times the amount of soldiers than they initially did because some guy had taken, Achan had taken gold and Babylonian garments and hid them and the secret sin made the whole army weak and so they had to go back, found out the source of the problem, went back, this is after they already defeated Jericho. They come out of that second humiliating battle against Ai and a group of, of uh, Gibeonites come to them and say, hey, we've heard about your fame and you're all this and that. And Joshua's going, oh, good. The Jericho story's still out there, not the Ai fiasco. And they flatter him. They say, hey, listen, we're just, we're friends from afar. No, they were foes from over the fence, but they fooled Joshua by dressing in old clothes, old wineskins, threadbare shoes, and made it look like they were distant, distant cousins. And the Bible has this line. It says uh, that Joshua did not seek the Lord and made an agreement. That little line, he didn't seek the Lord, and he made an agreement. And now that, those people that lied and fooled Joshua into this false treaty between the two, 
They're attacked. They call for Joshua. Joshua has to march all night with thousands of his military to fight a battle he never should have been in if he had prayed. He's exhausted. He's spiritually been tricked because he was prayerless. Made agreements, made commitments that he never took 10 seconds to ask God, God, should I do this or not? He's in that battle, friends, way over here. He's losing. And he finally talks to God. But this is the place that the devil says, you can't be talking to God from over here. This whole mess you're in is you're making, you screwed up your life with your own decisions. This is your own lack of relationship with God that's created this, this hot mess over here. You better figure it out, then you can crawl back humbly over there and God will hear you from over here. But he's certainly not going to hear you from over there because you created the whole deep trouble yourself. It's over there that he cries out to God. And God stops the sun over a battle that Joshua never should have been in in the first place. Remember that for the rest of your life. So when the devil says, you can't talk to God from over here. You got a crazy life going on because you screwed up. You knew this was wrong. You knew you're in rebellion. You knew you, knew you didn't pray. It proves it. God will suspend the laws of nature to get you back on course. That's how much he loves you. He loves you more than the rotation of the, uh, the sun or our, our spinning as we go around the sun. It's stunning what the Lord will do to get you back on course when you're in trouble. The second thing is, remember, man, too much nostalgia paralyzes your life. Can't think about the good old days. Stop thinking about yesterday. Stop comparing eras. I promise that what you're thinking about yesterday is distorted, it's skewed, and it's already been sanitized. The enemy wants you to circle back to yesteryear, but the only way home is always forward, not backwards. Memories are designed to keep you grateful, not confused. Your memories are not designed to keep you angry. They're designed to keep you grateful in this life. Even if you went through a terrible storm in life, if all you can say is, man, God brought me through that terrible season. Amen. That memory is designed to keep you grateful, not confused. The only way home is forward. Memories need to keep us grateful. Remember, prayers about the mountain in front of us, not dwelling on the green pasture that is behind us. His faithfulness is always about facing forward. Because the mountain ahead is what matters, not the mountain that lies behind. Third thing is, your thoughts do determine everything. Your thoughts determine everything. Circumstances, of course it jolts our stabilities. But we have the power and the autonomy in the Lord to regain mental composure and to set our minds on the things of our choosing, not the enemy's. The Lord has to be more than a passing thought. He has to dominate our minds. We have to rehearse instant replay, rehearse instant replay in our minds what he has done. When he says, I recall you, Lord, that's the shift. We have to stop thinking about our lives and start thinking about 
him and what he has done. If we always think about our lives, where we've come from, I challenged some leaders in New York on Sunday night. I've told you this before, an apple has one stem, but it has six, six seeds. But we have a whole generation in this world right now, all they care about is their stem. They gotta figure out the tree that dropped them. I gotta reconcile where I came from. I gotta reconcile what happened to me. I gotta figure out who dropped me, who bruised me. I've gotta reconcile my stem. And they spend their whole life thinking about their stem that they never ever contemplate the six seeds in them because it's not about where you came from, it's all about what comes after you. It's about the six things, the seeds, the people, the dreams that are in you that the Lord wants to use you to plant. Some of us fell from a diseased tree. Some of us were dropped by terrible trees. Right next to a beautiful tree. Our friend had a beautiful tree. I had a diseased tree, my stem. And I got to figure out why that happened in my life before I can move forward. Friends, forget about the stem. Focus on what's coming through you and after you. Your thoughts dominate everything. There has to be a new confidence as we, as we recall what he has done, not as we think about our life. That's the shift in this psalm. Fourth, we're living a new experience right now, friends. Obviously, COVID, the rioting, the elections, now the war in Ukraine. Everything that we've understood has been impacted. Things that brought former stability. I feel like the Lord is leading our lives differently just as he led Israel. You know, we're not suffering per se in this room. But all of our mental and material margins, our mental and material margins have been reduced. We can't frolic carefree as we are accustomed to. I feel examined, I feel winnowed by the Lord. And all of this is a good thing. I honestly would have rather have fewer people using the word Christian that meant it than have masses of people saying they're Christians and the Lord is nothing more than a passing thought in their life. There's a winnowing going on. It's a good thing. And the last thing from this is just remember, it's not God seeing the calamity. It's the calamity that sees God. The Red Sea saw the Lord. That's how big God is. That's the only way David could pivot from his deep trouble, was to believe that the Red Sea is what saw God. We're trying to get God, help me, Lord, see my trouble, see my problem. Friends, I'm telling you right now, like the demon-possessed guy, let's all stand together. The demon-possessed guy, the Gadarenes, <laughs> full of legions. He saw Jesus, friends. The demons recognized Jesus. It's not Jesus, us pointing out the demons to Jesus. Trust me, the calamity, and the power and the forces of nature, they see the presence of the Lord. Greater is he who is in me. Somehow God has reduced that lightning and made it usable energy in my life. The Red Sea saw God coming and trembled. 
We think it is God who needs to recognize the storm, but it's the other way around. The storm sees the creator coming. For the rest of your life, when you're up against it, I don't want you to ever forget when the Red Sea saw God. When the Red Sea saw God. It will flip your faith, build your faith, give you a different perspective on what's staring down on you. This is profoundly important to our faith. We have cultural giants right now. But those cultural giants are but a trembling speck before a sovereign God who again, by the way, uses this planet as his footstool. So where's this lead? Man, today you might be somewhere on the spectrum of trouble and it's dominating your thoughts and you can't pivot or shift. You can't recall things that are so unbelievable, like lightning, the Red Sea, that shifts your despair to a place of worship. I'm not saying it happens like a light switch. You have to spend time in his presence. That's why we worship and seek God. This shift comes. We're pouring our heart out to God. We're waiting on God. <sighs> then I begin to recall. Then I begin to see. And then everything starts to shift. Your faith is restored. Your confidence, your footing is restored. Because you can't live in that state of trembling and fear and what if. And I can't even pray. I'm so distressed. I'm in deep trouble and I don't feel God. I don't know God. That's not the definition of our life as believers. We go through trial and tribulation, but as we wait on him and press into him and we re-recall him, instead of thinking about me, man, something happens. Resurrection power hits. We're going to begin to seek the Lord. On Fridays, we're going to let our parents and friends, they've got to, I believe, going to Anderson Chapel. Am I giving that the right instruction? Is that the right thing, Devin? the gym, forgive me. He told me that right before chapel and I already forgot. Those parents are, that are here for NCU days. What we do in here is we just begin to worship. I'm going to invite some of our staff and faculty, even if you can stay for 10 minutes. We, we're here till about 1230, just about another 45 minutes. We just stay in this place and worship and pray. If you need individual prayer, if the faculty would make themselves available across the front right now, Something's going on at home. You got deep trouble. You say, man, would you pray for me? But brothers and sisters on your floors, your dorm mates, your roommates, your floor folks, get in a circle, pray for a minute together, pray for each other on Fridays. This is just our little space to kind of do that. It's our custom. It's our tradition just to pray for each other for a few minutes. Some of you can stay. We kind of about at about 12, 15. I just lead a circle up here of prayer for who's ever left. We just have a great time. But we're just going to begin to worship the Lord, or the music's going to play. If you need personal prayer this morning, you need personal prayer this morning, these folks are right here. Come, pray, seek the Lord. Uh, and then if you can hang for a few minutes or hang till 1230, uh, please do. I want you to have a phenomenal weekend. Serve the Lord. Remember, the weekends are about homework and holiness. Remember that, homework and holiness. That's what the weekends are about. So stay, keep your homework and live holy for God over the weekend. So anyway, these altars are wide open for you. And uh, we're just going to be with Jesus, begin to pray. And Lord, I just pray as we just kind of shift our time in this room to seek you, Lord, to seal the working and the dealings of the, of, of the Lord in our life. That, Father, you would lift us from the place of deep trouble, Jesus. And Lord, you would touch our hearts today, God. Lord, help us to be spending enough time 
that the pivot can happen. Lord, not just a little bit of time where we stay in the state where we said, I can't pray. I can't even lift up my, I lift up my hands. I got nothing. I don't feel you, God. And then quit. God, I pray somehow help us to go beyond that threshold, Lord. And we would begin to think, to begin to think about you instead of me and us and my problems and my world and my history, God, and where I came from and the people that have hurt me, God. Lord, I just go all in with you today, Jesus. Just bless our time in Christ's name. Amen. It's a prayer room from here on out. Pray in circles. Get with friends. Come to the altar. Find someone to pray with. But let's just seek the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.